0: Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. The
1: city of Milwaukee cannot afford this toy. It's no secret. Milwaukee's $128 million streetcar is struggling to attract riders.
0: Living over here, there's just no reason for us to get Mm -hmm. on it.
1: Supporters say that's exactly why the hop, needs to expand. To maximize its
2: benefits and its effectiveness, you have to go more than 2.1 miles. The most immediate concern is getting it to the Pfizer forum.
1: What city leaders haven't said is just how much that expansion is going to cost. Somebody has to say something because it's not sustainable. The Fox 6 investigators uncover a $330 million plan no one told you about. Why would that be marked confidential? I don't Shouldn't know. the public know? I don't know. The plans to spend gotta them. seven million million?
2: For all I know, they mark everything confidential. Until now. I think it is important to have these conversations publicly.
1: There seems to be a method of, of lack of transparency. From the Fox 6 Studios, this is Open Record. I'm Brian Polson and I'm here with my colleague, Amanda St. Hilaire. Hi, Amanda.
0: Hey, Brian. We are recording this episode on Thursday, August 19th. And today we have some incredible news to share. We found out that Open Record is the recipient of a National Edward R. Murrow Award. And you may have no idea what that is if you don't work in broadcast news, but it is one of the most prestigious awards you can get in news. And we received this for a compilation uh, that was put together basically when we were bringing you podcasts every weekday right when the pandemic hit. It was a crazy time, uh, but we all were really dedicated to making sure that We could be with you every step of the way through this podcast, so we don't do it for the awards, but it feels really good, I've got to say, to be recognized for that work. So we're grateful um, that you all have been listening to us and and with us every step of the way, and we're really excited over here at Fox Six.
1: I have been doing news for a really long time. I started in radio. I've been in television news since the you know mid nineteen nineties. Um, I've I've been doing investigations for well, I guess it's been almost twenty years now. And I you know n- never won a national award. I mean, i have won a lot of regional Emmys and things like that. And it's but 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 you know. The Murrows are prestigious within journalism circles. And what's really, uh, I think, um, what's really rewarding about this one is to win it in a space that – you know, didn't exist when I started in this business, podcasting. Uh, it does take me back to kind of my radio days. But you know, when we, when you first proposed that we do a podcast, and it was you, Amanda, who said, you know, we should really think about this, uh, and and uh, Leanne, who is no longer with us uh, at Fox 6, you um, st- worked with you on the logistics of how we put this together. I didn't expect that we were going to produce something that would get national recognition and an honor like this. But to have seen how it's evolved over the last couple of years, how it went from the in-person studio that we sort of constructed uh, at, at Fox 6 to how we figured out how to take it remote in the middle of a pandemic. Some of the stuff that was on this submission uh, that was in the middle of the early stages of the pandemic, I was really proud of. Um, and and obviously, to have it honored is just, it's great. It's a lot of fun. And uh, there's no doubt I'm, I'm enjoying it. But it, it also is, you know, just a reminder that there's, you know, there are people listening and, and paying attention and there's some importance to what we do. And it, it's it, it's I I said that and didn't realize I had scripted stuff for myself. Sorry, <laughs>
0: <laughs> so we are boy, podcasting really, professionals.
1: That's that's what happens when you're a national award winning podcaster. You get it all right. Uh, but no, this is another outlet for the kind of you know serious journalism that we love to do. And today's episode is really another example of that.
0: Yeah. So we're talking about Milwaukee's hop streetcar and a confidential plan to spend hundreds of millions of dollars to expand the system. So, Brian, I I do want to talk about how you came across the plan. Um, But first, for people who may be listening from out of the region or haven't been following this, tell us what the hop is and how it came about. Because it was a plan that was already in the works when I moved to Milwaukee.
1: Well, the Hop Streetcar is—it's a fixed rail system that's basically a downtown circulator. It, it's there. It's not there to be a commuter rail system to get people to jobs necessarily, or from the suburbs into the city. It circulates over a two-mile. Uh, loop in downtown Milwaukee. And the idea there is to get people to uh, you know, to circulate to different spots downtown. It's supposed to be something that visitors can enjoy. In um, Milwaukee actually sort of touts it on the streetcar's website as upping the city's cool factor. And, and this streetcar, though, goes all the way back, the development of it goes back to the late 1990s, when the city of Milwaukee or the Milwaukee County area uh, was the recipient of Uh, millions and millions of dollars in federal money that hadn't been spent. And the city sat on that money. I think it was ninety one million dollars for quite a long time because they didn't have sort of agreement over what to spend this money on. Mayor Barrett wanted to spend it on a streetcar. Then county executive Scott Walker, later Governor Walker and presidential candidate Walker uh, wanted to spend it on on buses and other things uh, for the county. Ultimately, they came to an agreement for a about a two-thirds split. The city got two-thirds of that money, the county got one-third of that money, and that two-thirds was spent on the early planning and, and construction of the Hop Streetcar. It's been controversial from the outset. There are some who say the city doesn't need this, that it's uh, that it, it, it's a waste of money, that, that it could be spent better, in, in, better in, in other ways. And it actually got to the point where there's a an Internet meme that's gone around for a long time with a picture, a photo of Mayor Barrett, uh, and, and it says, you know, a trolley will fix that. And so there's been a lot of criticism from those who are – generally probably not great supporters of public transit to begin with, um, who, who think that this was more of a toy. And uh, obviously there were plenty of others who supported the concept. One uh, a very important supporter was President Barack Obama, who liked the idea of streetcar systems. And so during his administration, there were maybe a dozen or more of these that were built in cities all over the country. Kansas City is probably the example of the most successful system that was built during that time. They uh, have had great success with ridership, um, and there are some reasons we can get into later as to why theirs has been doing so much better than, say, Milwaukee or Cincinnati or some other places. Uh, But so we built this. It started in 2018. It's been running since then, and uh, the question is... How well is it doing and is it worthy of further expansion?
0: And that's where your public records requests come in.
1: Yeah, so we had done a story, uh, uh, you know, been working on it since late last year and, and, and into early this year, looking at how the pandemic had affected ridership on the streetcar it's affected all public transit no question about it but the streetcar was in particular hit hard losing more than 75 percent of its pre-pandemic ridership and that was already ridership that was based on having no fare the city for the first year of the streetcar said we're not going to charge a fare because we want to get people interested excited make a habit of riding it and then we'll start to implement a fare and see how things go well then the pandemic hit so they've continued to leave this a free system to ride but the numbers hit rock bottom, and the question was raised last year as to, well, should we just suspend the the operation of this thing for a while if nobody's riding it, and it's not safe necessarily because of, because of COVID-19, should we just stop it? And the Department of Public Works, which uh, operates. Um, and contracts out operation of this system said, it no way it would be too expensive to stop running the streetcar because we have to pay the vendor and because there are other utility costs and maintenance costs and, frankly, the cost to restart the system and retrain people and other things would just be too high, so we just have to keep running it virtually empty. And they did. And around after we did our story on how poorly it was doing coming out of the pandemic, uh, I filed an open records request asking for... All of the emails that the commissioner of public works and the manager of the streetcar operation uh, were uh sending and receiving we may actually i may have limited it just to, to the commissioner in this case just related to the streetcar and that was a request i filed in april of 2021 april 5th to be exact it was not until august that i finally received the results of that request four months and ultimately i received more than 3,500 emails on a thumb drive Uh, that were in one way or another related to the streetcar or used the term streetcar.
0: And what did you find when you got those emails?
1: Well, there's obviously a lot considering we got 3,500 emails, but two things really stood out. The first one that stood out was uh, earlier this summer I had requested an update in ridership. Just how many people are riding the streetcar this summer when obviously a lot of people have been going downtown. The Milwaukee Bucks won the NBA championship. There were thousands and thousands of people in downtown Milwaukee. And up till now, they'd been saying the reason no one was riding the streetcar is, well, the pandemic people just haven't come back downtown. Well, here was a time when there were lots and lots of people there, but they weren't giving me those numbers. They said there was a problem with the server. One of the things we found in those emails was that server problems have been an ongoing issue with the system that automatically counts riders on the streetcar. All the way back to uh, early 2020, they were having issues with the the system that counts those riders. So there's some real questions about the reliability of the numbers to begin with. But uh, they did ultimately publish numbers uh, this summer um, and, and at that time, they said that there was, in fact, a ransomware attack this past summer that caused the uh, the, the server outage, um, which uh, if, if you don't know what a ransomware attack is, that's where hackers essentially take over a system and then uh, and then say that they won't give access back or control back until a ransom is paid. It's not clear if the city of Milwaukee paid that ransom. What we know is they ultimately got their counting system up and running to the point that they were able to put what are at least estimates online and the most recent figures show about 900 and some people rode the streetcar every day in July before the pandemic July of 2019 which was the heaviest month of ridership in the in the streetcar's history there were 3300 riders per day again they weren't charging any fares but 3300 riders well exceeded the pre-streetcar predictions of about 1800 riders a day so so they were doing well now obviously doing very very poorly. Even without charging a fare. That's one thing we found. But the thing that really stood out was there has been four months now a very specific plan building to expand the streetcar uh, and to expand it pretty dramatically, uh, primarily going north and south of downtown Milwaukee. They want to get the streetcar up uh, Vell Phillips Avenue, 4th Street past FISER Forum and into a neighborhood known as Bronzeville, so up north of downtown. Uh, And then they also want to expand it south through Bayview, or uh, pardon me, through the Third Ward, rather, and into Walker's Point. They want to go both directions. But each segment of streetcar requires a lot of engineering, tearing up the streets, moving utilities. It's not inexpensive. They've got to get more physical streetcars to carry people. So the overall cost continues to grow and grow. And according to the records we found in these emails, the total cost of what they consider a full build, all the way up to North Avenue and all the way down to Sixth and National, would be three hundred and thirty million dollars, um, and that's a figure we had not seen discussed publicly anywhere.
0: Why was that figure buried in emails and and not publicly discussed? Did anyone give you answers about that?
1: That's really the ultimate question, right? Like, why is this not being discussed publicly? And 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 first. You know, understand that there's been criticism of this project for a long time it may well be that supporters felt that until we are certain and this is what alderman bob bauman who's one of the biggest supporters of the streetcar said is maybe it's just until they're certain what the numbers are going to be, they don't want to put they don't want to float a number out there because numbers change. I mean, construction costs change. And until they know for sure, which route do we want to take? Do we want to go down this street or that street? Maybe they wanted to keep some of that in-house. There are various scenarios of of maybe we only build this far for now and we hold the other stuff off for later. Um, This was the total cost of what they called the full build. But there were certainly discussions going on behind the scenes that said this is the uh, advantage of, doing the full build, uh, you know, we can maximize federal dollars and things like that. And and what really caught my eye, and I think uh, raised the question of why this was all being discussed privately, was that they had already taken steps. And remember, I requested these records on April 5th. What well, happened to be on that very day that I happened to catch emails that were sent to Congresswoman Gwen Moore's staff, where the city of Milwaukee was requesting that Congresswoman Moore seek earmarks in uh, Congress, for transportation funding or, or for transit funding that's been discussed, uh, an infrastructure bill that has been widely discussed uh, specific to the Milwaukee streetcar, $30 million to go north, $30 million to go south. Though, So they've taken the step of making a formal request to a member of Congress for federal money to be earmarked for a project that has not yet been discussed publicly publicly in the city of Milwaukee. And there's no doubt that if this project happens, there will be a local match. There will be local funds that have to be expended not only for construction, but for ongoing operations.
0: Well, and it's interesting that we're in a scenario in which in order for people to use the streetcar to find it valuable in their day-to-day lives, it's got to go places, right? But then in order to justify to the public that it's got to go places, that's a lot harder when people aren't, using it. So it feels like it's easy to get kind of trapped in this circle where everyone's just spinning their wheels.
1: It's a chicken or the egg thing for sure in that regard, because if you say, well, to, to get more riders, we've got to expand, but to expand, we've got to spend a lot of money and the ridership doesn't justify it right now. Where do you go with that? Certainly the supporters would say, just let us expand this and you'll see how well it's going to work. Those who look at the current system and see that it's running a $3 million deficit this year, they're not charging fares, they're not raising much advertising because of the pandemic, they don't have much federal money coming in. So other than a massive sponsorship that they got right at the outset from Pottawatomie to be a sponsor, um, there's not any money really coming in for the hop. And so they're running this deficit. So it's hard to justify to someone who's maybe a tax hawk to say, well, we should spend $300 million on a system that's already in the red. That's not gaining ridership. How do you justify that? Now, one of the the questions would be, why isn't the original system doing as well as, say, the system in Kansas City? Why is Kansas City, which opened a streetcar around the same time, having such grand success w- w- with, its, uh, w- with its ridership line or with its streetcar system? And one of the answers to that is Kansas City and its planners ran a very straight line that connects entertainment districts. They have a nightclub district, much like Milwaukee's Deer District is emerging. They have various entertainment districts and the line tends to connect those and straighter lines tend to get people from, you know, one place to another. Milwaukee's is a loop downtown that doesn't connect, at least at this point, the bigger entertainment districts. It doesn't go to Pfizer Forum. It's eight blocks from Pfizer Forum at its closest point, which explains why even when you know, 100,000 people came down for game six of the NBA finals. Not many people rode the streetcar because they were nowhere close to where the streetcar lands. It doesn't connect at the moment anyway, the lakefront and summer fest grounds, though there is a short loop, a 0.2-mile extension that is expected to open next summer that's already been mostly paid for. They're just waiting for the lower floor of the Couture High Rise uh, to be constructed so they can connect the streetcar to a, a transit center there. So that will open next summer, which will get people closer to Summerfest, closer to the art museum, closer to some of those things. It doesn't currently go to the casino. That's its very sponsor. It doesn't go to the to the baseball field, American Family Field, formerly Miller Park. So there's a lot of questions about the streetcar doesn't go to the places people want to go. That's why people aren't riding it. It's not that the system is necessarily... A bad system to ride. It's it's actually a very easy thing to get on. It only comes around once every 20 minutes. And for right now, if it only goes a couple of miles and the weather's nice, a lot of people just opt to walk. Uh, if you actually look back at the early planning documents for the streetcar, um, you'll hear some people argue, well, you know, we need more options to get automobiles off the road. It was clear that this Initial starter system, at the very least, is not meant to replace automobiles. It's meant to replace walking trips because it doesn't go far enough to replace cars. It doesn't go to enough places for people to go, I'm going to ditch the car. It won't get them there. Eventually, if there are enough links where it can connect to bus routes, then you could take the streetcar one place or the bus to one place and finish on the streetcar. It could be integrated with a larger system. It just doesn't get there yet.
0: Well, and when we talk about how do we get to the point where its supporters want it to be, obviously money is going to be a factor in that. So like you said, operating at a deficit now, what's the long-term plan for keeping this going?
1: Well, so the, the the city of Milwaukee, Mayor Barrett, as I said, the, this plan that they've been formulating sort of uh, privately or secretly, when I say secretly, I mean, the, the documents that I got in these emails were marked confidential. They weren't meant for public discussion. At least they weren't ready for public uh, dissemination just yet. But one of the big things they have said publicly, and Mayor Barrett said this more than once, is that there were recent changes at the federal level that make this more attractive right now, because it used to be to fund an expansion like this it would be a 50-50 split between federal money and local money. Recent changes actually that occurred under President Trump toward the end of his presidency uh, have actually opened it up to an 80-20 split. So 80% of the money would come from the federal government and there would need to be a 20% match. That's a big swing in dollars that would be on local taxpayers' backs. But that 20% is not insignificant. Out of $330 million, it's still about $70 million. Most of that, they expect, would be funded by tax increment districts, which are essentially a way of deferring taxes that you would collect now until a future date years off. But that's still tax money. It's real tax money that could be used for other things. Um, and then the, the, the maybe most controversial piece is that, that TID money, the tax increment district money, would be used for construction. But how do you pay for the ongoing annual operation and maintenance? And estimates are... This expanded system would cost another $7 million a year on top of the $4.5 million the current system costs. They're not charging fares. The mayor says they have no immediate plans to start charging fares because the ridership doesn't justify it. And once you charge a fare, you're going to hurt ridership even further. So if they're not charging fares and advertising revenue isn't there right now, how are you going to pay for an additional $7 million? Right now, the budget hole is being filled by parking tickets. People get fines, maybe on the east side, overnight fines, or you're parking downtown and you don't pay your meter. That's helping to support the streetcar, um, which some argue makes natural sense since it's sort of a the idea being that it, it you know is is another form of transportation. It's connected to transportation dollars. But how do you pay that extra seven million? Parking fines aren't going to cover it.
0: Well, especially in a pandemic.
1: I, I, especially in a pandemic where those revenues have been hit uh, significantly. Uh, so how are you going to pay for that extra seven million dollars, even coming out of a pandemic? And and the question is, or, or and Alderman Bauman says. He was this is one area where he was pretty upfront and transparent. He said, you've got to have a dedicated funding source, uh, which he says would likely have to be a sales tax, an increase in the sales tax, a dedicated streetcar sales tax. That's certainly going to be a controversial thing. Whenever you start talking about dedicated funding, sales taxes for a specific purpose people start to say, wait a minute, though, we've got a lot of other needs. What about street lights? What about potholes? What about street construction and repair? What about housing, affordable housing? So people do start to raise questions about that. Um, and when I asked the mayor, are you considering a streetcar sales tax? He said, I'm not looking at that at this time. That at this time leaves the sort of, uh, you know, thinking out there that one day they may still consider. He hasn't shut the door on it. And the documents that we found in those emails suggest that absolutely a dedicated funding source would be required to fund this kind of expansion years into the future and the question is will, will there be an appetite for that among taxpayers we'll have to wait and see
0: i know you've mentioned a few times that this is controversial and there's a there's been a very strong public reaction to the stories you've done about this what is it about the hop that you think inspires such strong reactions
1: well, I think there's, you know, so, some of this may be, and in some of the criticism may well be. Uh from people who don't even live in the city and, and rarely come to the city of Milwaukee, you have to recognize that obviously our viewership, is, you know, uh, spans well outside of Milwaukee. For years, conservative talk radio really hammered on the streetcar and, and and you know looked at it as sort of a, a joke of, of the way tax uh, money was going to be spent. That's where that meme came from that you know they called it Tom's trolley. Uh, so some of that may not be really coming from people who would be directly affected by either the tax uh, spending on the streetcar or the usage of it. Uh, so there. It is important to keep that in mind that some of that criticism comes from sort of outside places.
0: But you did talk to people who would be directly affected by it in your story.
1: Yeah, even within the city of Milwaukee, there is certainly some concern. On the council itself, there are members who are generally supportive of any kind of public transit project. And I think they see the potential value of having a system like this ultimately built and what it could mean for uh, some of their some of the constituents of the city residents in in poor neighborhoods who could easily hop on and get downtown and go to attractions and events but they also recognize that their constituents have other needs and when just recently there was discussion of a $250,000 spending item for initial engineering and planning of the south line into uh, toward you know into walkers point through the third ward Five uh, council members objected. So you had 10 in support, five objecting. Prior to that, this was virtually a unanimous thing where people are supporting the streetcar and the council. The the only real uh, person who's still on the council who has uh, consistently objected is Alderman Mark Borkowski, a former county supervisor who uh, tends to be one who's uh, very mindful of uh, spending. And and he he has claimed from the beginning he didn't think that this was financially feasible uh, in, in the long term. But there were four others who stepped up and said, now, wait a minute. Are, are we sure that this makes a lot of sense? We're going to spend 250000 on planning. Does that obligate us to a larger future plan? One of those aldermen, Alderman Russell Stamper, asked, you know, is there a do we know what the bigger plan is yet? Where, what's going to happen next? And that was sort of dismissed in the public meeting, even though we know there is a plan. There's a very specific plan, and we know how much that plan would cost.
0: All right. So where do things go from here?
1: Well, first, we know that the, the existing line is here. The lakefront line is expected to open by next summer. And uh, there is discussion about uh, an extension to FISER forum being, quote unquote, shovel ready. That's what Alderman Bauman says. Seventy five percent of the design and engineering work has been done on that. But that is one of the pieces of this three hundred thirty million dollar expansion they need federal money for. And if they so, so they're attempting to secure that, we'll see where that goes. The question of what happens with the rest of this. That's that's hard to say. The 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 plans, the timeline that's that's listed in these documents has these being constructed by 2027. That's six years away. Usually these timelines get pushed back again and again, especially with politics. So I think the full extension of these uh, going into the all the way up to North Avenue and down to sixth and national uh, is probably more than six years away if they happen at all. And and it's going to obviously take some public debate over whether or not the city wants to spend that kind of money. We'll see where that goes and that seems as good a time as any for us to go off the record this is the part of the podcast where we get a little more personal have a little fun by answering a question we have not prepared for and executive producer sarah smith usually asks this question but she's on assignment so instead we once again welcome editor extraordinaire
2: dave machuda hey dave Good morning, Murrow Award-winning Fizbo's.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You you as well, by the way. Congratulations. Because just so you know, folks, when you listen, especially to the, the openings to this podcast, the fancy edited openings, that's all Dave Machuda. And then obviously he has to, every time we make mistakes and restart and do all kinds of goofy things... He has to put this together and make it sound good and edit that stuff out. So Dave has made this podcast sound as professional as it does. So
2: a big part of why and this Dave is
0: Dave has probably saved us from getting fired a few times by editing More than things once, we have absolutely.
2: said. Yes, as much as I don't necessarily want to listen to it every single week <laughs> you have to yeah you, have you are to. you're probably you are our most dedicated
1: listener out of necessity not yeah, other than your mother y- yes other than, yeah that's true that's true uh, mom Polson she is definitely uh, our number one fan and has heard every moment of open record um, so she, so mom thanks you're also part of the reason we're a national award-winning podcast
0: <laughs> all right Dave what question do you got for us today
2: this basically comes out of uh, last night I was watching a uh, cnn series called the movies where each each episode is a different decade so i think they started in the i don't even know the 40s or 50s or something like that and each hour and a half long episode um and last night i watched the 70s um for you amanda the 70s that's when like talkie movies started oh and okay they first good to know. Turned the color
0: <laughs> good to know my parents were teenagers in the 70s i'll uh, be quiet. Um, <laughs>
2: But anyway, so I was going through a lot of, like, films that I recognized, obviously, Star Wars and, you know, that kind of thing, Godfather. But then other stuff that I know of and haven't seen. But it just got me thinking about movies. So the question is, what movie do you wish you could see again for the first time?
0: Ooh.
1: Wow, that's a good question. Which one do you – so which one do you could see again for the first time?
2: Oh, man. I, I can go first if you guys want to think about that. <laughs> yeah, it. yeah, I do
1: want to think about that go Dave. Um,
2: for me, I, I, it basically came down to two movies and one of them is, is it's actually pretty cliche, which is what I would choose is The Matrix. Um, you know and I, I know it's very nerdy because I'm a sci-fi guy you know, and I'm a guy, so I like action movies and so this is like it hits my sweet spot. But when it came out, I just remember just like walking out of the theater just being blown away, like what did I just watch? I saw it fairly early in its release, so I hadn't, the hype hadn't gone absolutely bananas yet, so I wasn't really sure exactly what I was going to see, and I just, I was just like dumbfounded when I walked out of the movie, like holy moly, I, in that kind of reaction, seeing something like that for the first time, I would love to like experience that whole thing for the first time, instead of like the 30 times that I've watched it now.
1: You know, it's, it's hard to, Say, I mean, you know, whenever we ask these sort of like if you could questions, you say, all right, well, what about these conditions? If I could go back to the time when I hadn't seen all the following movies that came out after it or when I wasn't when I was at the age I was at, for me, one of the greatest movie experiences at a theater was was seeing Return of the Jedi. Um, and, and, you know, when Star Wars, the original uh, came out, when A New Hope came out, um, I was young enough that I remember it being on the co- there was C-3PO and R2-D2 were on the cover of TV Guide. And my parents were going to the movies to see this. And I remember looking at the cover and thinking, well, can I go? And they said, no, this is a this is more of a grown up movie. And at that age. I thought that meant it was inappropriate like oh I shouldn't <laughs> see this and I know this is going to be hilarious but you know how C3PO has that sort of gap between you know, where you see the wires it is oh, yeah. in his abdomen at that age i connect i made the wrong connections but i thought it was sort of inappropriate in a way that was like you know maybe maybe it was sort of there was some robot sex or something i didn't i didn't know what that meant but it just seemed like i'm seeing parts of a robot i shouldn't see it's for adults this isn't a movie so I, as a child i think star wars is inappropriate I eventually, obviously, saw it. I loved it. I saw Star Wars, I don't know how many times. We had a you know a, a Millennium Falcon model with all the little Star Wars figures that were, what, the six-inch-like tall figures. We had six versions of Luke Skywalker and Han Solo and everything else. So I became a, a huge <laughs> lover of Star Wars at that age. Uh, Return of the Jedi, I think we saw in the theater, but for whatever reason, I'm I mean, sorry, uh, 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 Empire Strikes Back, but Return of the Jedi is the one I just remember being right at the age where it was, it was such uh, an impactful movie for me. Um, and, and, you know, obviously it's, it's, it's a great positive ending for fans of the franchise. So, um, to go back and re-experience that brand new, uh, I think would be incredible.
0: So I too have a Star Wars answer, but for a completely different reason, because obviously I did not see the originals in theaters. So it wasn't from the mentality of, you know, this changes everything, but when my dad was so excited to share Star Wars with us. So the first time I I saw, you know, I mean, the original Star Wars was in my living room, but it was this great moment. And I was probably, I don't know, I want to say eight or maybe nine. It was around the time when, like, the new ones were about to come out, right? Quote, episode one. The prequels, yeah. Yes, the prequels were about to be released. And so my dad wanted us to see the originals. And so he was just so excited to share that with us. And it was cool and we liked it. But I connect that more with the memory of, you know, sharing that experience with my dad. It's why my family loves to go to the movies. Like we love to watch movies together. And my husband isn't a big movie guy and he doesn't really understand the appeal of going to the theater. But in my family, it's like it's that shared experience. It's. You're laughing when everyone else is laughing, and then you're looking around to see if everyone else is laughing too, right? Like those, um, those moments are just really good memories. I think as far as like seeing a movie in the theater, <laughs> um, Avengers Endgame was a really cool theater experience. Um, just everyone's reactions. To when they're doing that big battle, you know, you've been waiting for that you've movie got for so long. People cheering in
1: the theater. People
0: cheering in the theater. I was uh, literally a week away from having a baby, <laughs> and so at that point, at any given moment, it was like I could go into labor. Just stay in there long enough for me to see this movie. So that, as far as like a movie theater experience, that was that was a really cool one.
1: You know, I, I was thinking about one of my favorite movie experiences wasn't in the theater. It was at home watching with my kids who were little at the time. I remember sort of movie time with the kids was great. And, and we it, um, we sat and watched Toy Story three and. Uh, on like a, you know, a, a pull-out couch, you know, y'all curled up with the pillows and the popcorn and that was great. But I think like if I went back and watched it right now, I, I don't want to watch it right now because obviously Toy Story 3 has Andy going off to college and it's this very emotional, impactful movie. And my daughter is going to college in 11 days. I think I'm going to hold off on watching that for a while. Maybe <laughs> oh, we'll watch completely. it later this fall. <laughs> hey, Dave, that was another good question. Thank you.
0: If you have a question you'd like to submit for our off the record segment, any topic you want us to discuss, or an issue you think we should investigate, please send us an email. You can send your emails to fox6investigators at fox.com. Again, that is fox6investigators at fox.com.
1: Dave, thanks again for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me. As always, thank you to all the people who make this podcast possible. This National Murrow Award-winning podcast producer Pete, Suzanne Barthel, and of course, executive producer Sarah Smith. Please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't already. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. With that, I'm Brian Polson, and for Amanda Saint-Hilaire, we'll be back again next week.